Sleep when you're dead Cause we've come too far to waste it Hanging by a thread Time to rise, we cannot break So hold the So the world is obsessed with you guys, completely obsessed. And that is uh, the topic today per se. Um, I just want you guys to know just what a big impact uh, you have done in 2021. It's December 30th and you still haven't stopped impacting. And you know, I was having a conversation yesterday uh, more so to kind of, uh, figure out, um, what I, I, I need to start getting my questions ready for the depositions. And I have to be, um, very detailed and very specific as well. Uh, so we're going to, it's actually dovetailing to what we're going to talk about today, which is so crazy. Uh, but I, I was having this conversation. You know what I realized? Aside from the fact that the ones that stole the elections weren't the Democrats, it's the Republicans, I wanted to just point something out. No wonder President Trump ran on a Republican ticket. He said Republicans are stupid. He was right. What people hadn't realized is that the Republicans are the ones that run the Democrats. They're their counter operation. See, they come along as the sensible people, but please do not forget that it was Republicans that had colluded, <laughs> that had planned to tear this nation apart before the ink was dry. And the only way they could do it is by embracing the common sense man and saying, well, it's not us, it's them. Give us money. This is why all the big corporations, they say, are with the Democrats, but in essence, they are with the Republicans, but in essence, they're with the Democrats. If you notice, they split down the line the type of corporations that they work with. It is the most insane, um, you know, idea per se, but it's not. It's reality. They are the ones that created all of this. And you know how I figured it out? When I was looking for some public information in regards to what I'll be asking Congressman Cohen, and I stumbled upon something, I was like, shit, how did I miss this? How did I miss this? And it's not that I missed it. I knew. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, I know that the sky is blue, but, you know, did I know from the beginning that the sky was blue, that it has to do with refractory of light and how my rods and the cones interpret it? No. I didn't understand spectrums when I was five. And a lot of people, when they're 50, they don't understand. They just know it's blue because they don't go uh, through that education. But what was weird is, is that I actually found the source of the election fraud. Now, now, 
I was there when they had their first conversations. You were there every step of the way from the year 2000 and onwards where they were getting it done. But the funding and the operation of actually getting it done is the more incredible part of it. Now, people are obsessed, obsessed with what you've done. And it only takes one person anonymously to spark a fire all the time. Now, many will be like, deep throat. But I'm going to remind you of an anonymous operation that happened in Ohio a few years ago to out-rape and how it took the nation by storm. Anonymous took over Steubenville, those of you in Ohio. Do you remember that one? I think it'll be a great trip down memory lane for you. Greetings, citizens of the world. We are Anonymous. Around mid-August 2012, a party took place in a small town in Ohio known as Steubenville. On this fateful night, a life was changed forever as a group of the football players of Big Red High School began taking advantage of an underage girl. The girl was sexually assaulted, raped, and drug unconscious from party to party. The town of Stubbornville has been good at keeping this quiet and their star football team protected. You can hide no longer. You now have the world looking directly at you. Up roll, red roll. Engaged. I knew a rape case happened over the summer. It just seemed like at that point when I was hearing all that stuff, it kind of got swept under the rug. Like nobody would talk about it for a while. And then all of a sudden, some guy comes on. He's not even from the area. And he's like, I'm coming for you. She's passed out. It's not okay. Well, as soon as Anonymous posted the video, I, I was like, I want to help. RollRedRoll.com is a Steubenville High School football website hacked into last night regarding an alleged rape case in Jefferson County. In the video, the Anonymous hacking group threatens to reveal personal information about people involved in the incident. As far as I know, this was the first time anything like this had happened in town. It was um, a situation of where you didn't quite know what was going to happen not knowing exactly what Anonymous stood for. All you need is a Google search engine to realize we are serious in what we do. Anonymous is nothing more than an idea that can be appropriated for a common cause. I don't think anybody knew really who Anonymous is. I could probably put on a mask and claim I'm Anonymous. There's never been a case like this in Steubenville. It is hard to actually even get anybody in this area to discuss rape. And if they do, it's kind of a little bit. And then it's like, okay, I've had enough. Put this subject away. Let's go on to something else. Young people today, and even when I was young, when you have a group of kids and guys and girls and you put alcohol in the, in the mix, um, things can get out of hand. People saw these pictures and it was horrendous. They were ugly pictures. And I understand we need to correct that. But we're not bad people. I grew up within a 90-minute radius of Steubenville. I grew up in the tri-state area of Steubenville. It wasn't until Anonymous was called to a local place that I dove in. We just put the information out there and then it's free for anybody to do whatever they see fit with that information.
I was kind of the midpoint between Anonymous and Superman. Kind of like, I don't know, like when Spider-Man would put his mask on or something where, you know, Superman changes into his costume. It's like you're kind of, you're, you're a superhero. And Twitter this, Twitter that, DMs, group conversations, private messages. It was kind of a social media civil war. People went through their Twitter pages, brought up old photos, old statuses, old tweets, getting people from outside sources to hear the story. We could just blow it up. Hey, this girl got raped. What can we do to make this story huge? So they set up a rally for a given date. The first rally was not um, a lot of organization. We want justice! We want justice! We want justice! People really just stood in solidarity, and that's pretty much for a few hours what happened. I just remember seeing like snowball fights. I'm looking at like it's starting, but it needs to move up. It needs basically production. At that point, they didn't release the 12-minute No Honest video yet, and I knew that was coming. That's going to bring thousands of people, and if it looks like this when they get there, it's going to make the news for a day, and that's going to be that. Once that Nodi video came out, you know, all hell broke loose at that point. Okay. Bro, they raped her. This is the funniest guy. He raped her harder than that cop raped Marcellus Wallace and Paul Fish. <laughs> National controversy is now growing out of a small town criminal case in Ohio. People laughed and watched, took pictures, posted pictures. They raped her quicker than Mike Tyson raped that one girl. <laughs> the story has now gained national attention and has divided that community. It was sort of surreal watching CNN pull into my backyard. At first, I was very angry. It was a really negative thing to live through. And, and honestly, since I've invested my retirement here uh, and then built up this uh, in, this huge negative publicity was not good. Okay, I don't like the anonymous, the way they came into our town and they created havoc. Take it off, bro. You take it off. You take it off. You take it off. And then Steubenville had a rally of their own. They say our city is divided. We must stand together and united. They say we should be ashamed to wear red and black. I say wear it proudly. You want us to be ashamed of our tradition. You want us to be ashamed of our success. You want us to be ashamed of our children. You want our children to be ashamed of the school that they go to. This case is in the legal system. Let them handle it. A lot of the comments, a lot of the nasty phone calls I got, you know, I'm the chief of Rape City. Um, 
how do I let this go on? How can I let people get away with it? And as far as I was concerned, we didn't let anybody get away with anything. We had this case solved in the first two weeks. I think we're being held hostage by, you know, maybe 50, 100 people hold, hold this whole town hostage. They're, they're dictating our image. Uh, they don't even know. The outside about. perception is that you people are nothing but uh, supporters of rape. These church going people, we're all, we all got labeled like we're, we're, we're monsters here. Everybody who lives here would like to see this story stop being in the media so we can get past it and heal and move on. I've lived here about 40 years. I was sexually assaulted. When I called the sheriff's office, I said, I want to see if I can prosecute. The response that I got from the deputy that I spoke to was, oh, I know him. And the prosecutor has decided that he is not going to take the case. After that happened, I slept with a baseball bat, making sure the doors were locked all the time. I would go places where he normally wouldn't be, and there he would be. I was paranoid, and I couldn't depend on anybody else to look after me, so I had to do it myself. If the anonymous group, they hadn't come in and brought national attention to this. I think it would have disappeared like so many others have. This stuff goes on all the time, but it's never been brought to focus in our community. What happened with Jane Doe was something different. I don't get involved in activist, acti I can't say the word, activist, whatever. Yeah, I didn't go to the first rally. And then my sister-in-law informed me of all the tweets and all the pictures and the video. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I went to the second rally. Welcome to Steubenville. If you got something to say, come up. I had no intention of going up in there and speaking. But as soon as I got there and I saw these people talking, I just headed right up those steps. I wasn't even thinking, like, you know, Michelle, what are you doing? What are you doing? I just took off on right up those steps and the girl got done speaking and I said, I want to talk. I'm 51 years old, sexually molested when I was eight years old, never told anybody, and finally in my 40s, I decided to get help. Once the testimony stuff started coming out, it just kind of felt like a lightning bolt hit me, because now it's almost turned into like a women's movement in a way. It just changed. The day of the rally, my husband was like, you're absolutely not going, it's too dangerous. That morning, I had decided that if my husband wasn't going to take me over, then I would just walk. <laughs> I just felt like I needed to be there. My name's Alicia. I'm a citizen of Steubenville. I was raped in 2000, reported it to the police. They called me saying that, that they couldn't do anything for me. Some of the survivors that did speak out had not gotten justice and in any way, this was their first time speaking about what had happened. My name's Megan. My name's Isabel. My name is Robin. I was raped when I was seven. I also been raped. I never told anybody. It just made me feel like a brand new person. It's like I was set free for some reason. It just, it felt good. The town kind of came together and everyone was handing out masks and like, if you want to help, this is what you can do. I've went to every rally. I've seen these women speak. And that was a game changer. Well, as far as public shaming, it, it's harsh. It is harsh. But whatever I can do, I'm going to do. 
And I hope that if someone's thinking about doing something, something wrong, that they're going to think a little bit. What if somebody found out? Something bad like that would happen, then yeah, I would like to see people pull together and rally and support one another. The steel workers do it. When they're going to lose their jobs, they go to Washington. The coal miners just bust themselves to Washington. Sometimes you have to let stuff die. But then on the other hand, you don't want people to forget what happened. The talk needs to be about where do we go from here? And not only where do we go, but where does the whole country go? This isn't an isolated case. Survivors are poised and ready to be heard. So for those that are listening to this, I just wanted to tell you that um, the two students were found guilty and served two years at juvenile. Three Steubenville school officials resigned and were not prosecuted. Two were convicted for related offenses and serve brief sentences. Now, the point of me reminding or for the first time showing uh, you, you know, this incident is not to shit all over Steubenville, right? Because every city is Steubenville. It happens a lot more often than we'd like. And that's just one thing rape there's theft there's you know violence there's there's a ton of crimes but the the thing that you saw at the beginning was the city upset <laughs> oh you're the mayor of the rapist town yeah you deserve that you should have said it's unacceptable nobody should have been upset oh you know i put my retirement cry me a river dude Every city in America has dark stories like this where they throw it under the rug or they'll find some illegal immigrant and pin it on him like they did in Minot when some people were murdered and then the daughter inherited all this shit. But then it ended up being on the, you know, they just threw it at the illegal, at the migrant, not illegal, that he did it when he wasn't even there. But, you know, not details. Bottom line is they cover things up. They cover things up. And it only takes one person to shine the light. So why is it that it was only that one person from Anonymous that shone the light for that one girl in Steubenville? What about the girl in, you know, uh, you know, Evansville or, or Chicago or New York or Philly or Pennsylvania or, you know, West, in West Virginia, in the state of California? How many girls, Right. Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, all the states have the same stories. But it only takes one person, one person to shine the light. See, what is the common denominator for failure in anything you do? Why would a nation fail? Why would you fail? You never say it's because of you, right? It's never your fault. It's never your city's fault. It's never your state's fault. Oh, oh, it's it's the competition. It's the economy. Uh, it's the president. Uh, it's Congress. It's You wake up in the morning and you blame any failure on someone else or something else. Never to you. You have. So then why would you change? Right. Why would you change anything if it's somebody else's fault? But if you woke up in the morning and said, you know, I'm going to take a good hard look in the mirror. I'm really not happy with the state of my house. For example, I got crap everywhere or I'm really not happy with the state of my city. I'm pissed off. 
There's potholes everywhere. It keeps fucking up my car. I'm going to go do something about it. I'm not going to say it's their fault. Therefore, my car. I'm really not happy with the excessive taxes. I'm really not happy with all this bullshit, right? If you actually looked in the mirror and said that, the failure is because of me and I want to take responsibility. Then you can see what decisions you can make. You could see where to put your energy and saying that you're not going to pass the buck or the blame. If you actually looked in the mirror and said that to yourself, what don't I like? I don't like this. I can do something to try to change it. If I do a little bit, my neighbor does a little bit, my friend does a little bit, suddenly it goes insane. Change will happen. Because nobody, to yourself even, likes thinking of themselves as a failure. Winners win, losers lose. And if you create a culture of losing and being a victim and losing again and it's happening to you, you keep letting people and, and circumstances treat you like a loser, it becomes your culture. So you got to take ownership on everything ownership of everything in your world, everything, the good, the bad, the beautiful, everything. You don't make excuses. You don't blame anybody else, right? Or any other thing. You take ownership for all the mistakes, mishaps, and what you don't like. Take ownership of your shortfalls, your problems, you know, take ownership of the freaking solutions. And that's how you solve things. When you decide to do that, when you decide to take ownership of these things, suddenly things fall into place. There is no question. There is no if, ands, or buts. The problem that people do is that they don't integrate their dark side, meaning they try to push it away. I'm not bad. I don't have bad. It's like those people, you know, at church, they go, look at me. I have my Bible. I'm following what the pastor's saying. Look at me. I'm singing. I'm in the choir. I'm wearing all the nice clothes. I'm wearing the head thing. Look at me. Yet they have the most evil thoughts. Oh, look at her shoes. Oh, her daughter's dress is a little bit too low cut. Or right? So good doesn't become better by being over the top, right? It becomes worse. And a small evil becomes a massive evil task. If you don't pay attention to it and it's repressed because shadows are very much part of every single part of human nature. It's called duplicity, right? It's only at night that shadows don't exist, right? But understanding that there's that no moral code is perfect and no friend, family, peer group is ideal, right? When we adapt to the world and we repress our destructive elements in our personality, such as, you know, having anger, you know, untamed animalistic impulses, you know, sex addiction, I'm just saying, or any other, you know, any other things that are bad, but we also repress the positive things, the things that, that are life promoting. Perhaps if people started to embrace their shadow, when they realize, okay, this is what, yo, I can be really, really evil like this and like that. And I can get really catty and be like, oh, ooh. it's kind of like when you say a curse and I'm not saying curse word. I'm saying like you say something that shit sticks, right? Right. 
you know, that's bad. Like, you know, I posted on Gab. <laughs> I posted on Gab to Ali Akbar, right? I, um, what did I say to him? I said, um, oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, let me, let me see if I could pull it up, which was evil. That was my evil side coming out. What I said, I embrace it. I know. I'm, I guess it's because I'm so upset that, you know, I, I get it a lot. I was talking with my family earlier and I was like, you know, I don't like it. They said, I don't like it that this person described this and said this about, you. and I was like, it's okay. I mean, and I tell them the same thing, even though it does bother me in the end, they will have to eat crow. And so it's okay because the truth comes out in the end and that's all you can think of. Anyway, what I posted was, hey, Ali, did you hear the news? My case with you and Dominion for defamation is now in federal court. You can't hide. You have to turn up to deposition. No more pretending. I can't wait to put your Hatsburger jaw in the chair and get you on the record, which the whole world will watch. And here's where my evil side comes in. You thought you were elite? Real elite don't flex their muscles. How you like mine? I mean, I'm a time traveler, so when I told you I made you my bitch. I knew that in advance. See, this is me not using what my gifts were intended for something that would be, you know, mean, right? And in the end, all I, you know, no matter how ugly and evil someone is, inside you can see that they have the same light. They have the same uh, code, well, as long as they don't mess it up, of God. And so they're all just scared children when they act like that. You know, um, usually when, when you tap into your shadow, it's when it overtakes you with, um, emotion where, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, and I say this, you know, someone will be like, yeah, you were just trolling him. No, I'm admitting that, that was done with malicious intent to cause him, you know, mind fuck, right? And also flexing what I already knew. Um, and I did that on purpose because I wanted to hurt him uh, because he had hurt me. So, uh, and, you know, I'm also very upset because I can't stand the fact that people are cutting deals with these evil Oh, why do people think that the people can't handle this? Why can't we just lay it all out there? Why? Because a lot of people will be out there with the pitchforks. A lot of people will take the law into their own hands when they find out, you know, their neighbor or their congressman would, you know, do unspeakable things to little kids. Or that we're okay with people getting killed for the sake of money. Right. This is why they're cutting deals. And I'm so upset because the people are still immature. And how do we know they're immature? Because you're all fucking following the same people that put you in this situation. You're listening to them. You're saying, oh, well, so-and-so sad. And I only follow so-and-so. And it's like, so today I'm going to explain to you why they're making deals. Right. I think I'll do that before I show you the, the, the fruit, uh, the fruit that your work has brought upon. I want to show you, um, 
what the issue is here. Because, you know, a lot of people are like, what is this, high school? And it's like, yeah, it fucking is. It's only on another level, you know? Like, just on another level. There's people that are fucking crazy, like completely bizarre, obsessed crazy, right? And then there's people that have just lost their mind with everything that has happened. Other people that are just being attacked, so they lose their mind, you know, and I know ah, I am not for deals. I am not for deals, buddy. I'll tell you what, when I was in New York and I, damn it, I was so upset. Oh, well, you know, this will disrupt this. Fuck it. Let it disrupt it. Let it all out. But unfortunately, people are so freaking immature, so immature. Think about it. I want you guys to think about it. You have the left, right? Okay, let's think, let's think high school wise. You have your clicks and we're going to go through a couple of things about clicks. The left, we've got your Hollywood and uh, media personality clicks, right? Your Sarah Silverman's, your crazy Gaga's, your fucking Meryl Streep's, you know, the one that said that Ramon Polanski didn't rape the girl. She liked it. <laughs> you know, she's 13. She totally liked it. Um, you know, your Whoopi Goldbergs and shit. And then you have uh, your leftist media journalists, right? And I'm calling them leftists because that's how you identify them. You don't see they're all batting for the same fucking team. So you've got that. And and you, you, you guys remember when Laura Loomer confronted Oliver Darcy, right? Who was a conservative and then he became like a lefty and shit, right? He didn't change. He was always there. Remember he had that campus reform shit, kind of like turning point USA. And then he flippity flopped. He didn't fucking flippity flop. He was just like, yeah, I, I want to use what I learned from that side and bring it on this side. They swapped his, his MO. Okay. So then you've got the lefties, the real lefties, the Brian Stettlers in the journalists. So you've got your cream of the crop because they're elite. <laughs> they're like, uh, I'm on CNN, like kiss the ring. Right. So you've got them and then you've got the other lefties that are the sidebar people. And then you've got the middle of the ground that are on the right or the left, like the people that like pushed on Isaac Cappy, for example, like your operators, like that, that, that weird bald diabetic dude. Oh, fuck. I forget his name because he's not that important, but he has a name with like the third at the end. Um, shoot. What's his face? Tefango. There we go. Um, you know, some stellar reporting on Isaac Happy was done by, um, Phoenix, right? Rising Phoenix or something. I really liked his reporting. Uh, he does some really good stuff. Uh, and then, so then you've got that middle ground people where they work for both sides and then you've got the right and they're all like a fucking click. You've got your Jack Posobics, your fucking, all those turning point USAs come watch us speak people. Right. And then you've got your outliers like, you know, Lindell, who kind of mishes and moshes with them, but he does his own thing. Right. Yeah. Phoenix Enigma. That was it. So Mike Lindell, who's on the side doing his own thing, you know, and kind of mixes with them, but not really. Right. So you got your clicks. Mike Lindell's not a click. He's like an outlier. He's a complete outlier. So you've got all these clicks and they're all working for the same fucking team, pretending they're not your, your, your Q decoders, your X 22s. They're all fucking losers taking fucking direction from the same fucking people. It's just depending on their level. It's like a, you know, what grade in high school they're at. 
uh, to, 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 to say their thing. It's the most insane shit ever. So I wanted to show you guys, um, teen kids news. Maybe that'll help. We'll take it to the dumb, dumb level. So that way we could see just how this is actually our reality now, uh, in our, uh, social and political circles. I kid you not. This is the way we are functioning right now. Like kids. Well, for a lot of us, the need to fit in with a group can often make you feel left out. But clicks don't have to complicate your life. Felipe has the story. Let's face it. We all look for friends who like the same things we're into. It's when certain groups of friends become clicks that problems start. Most clicks uh, laud their exclusivity to others by not allowing others to participate in it. Clicks can be bad because they're kind of exclusive. I say a clique is a group of friends who can be sometimes exclusive. 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 Some cliques don't just exclude, they ridicule. Kids from the theater group Faces help us see how cliques can hurt. Faces acts out real-life issues that affect teens. When do they let the bride of Chucky walk in Brooklyn? Like, sometimes they're mean people, like, that, like... I don't know, that make fun of you. Some people, they, they talk behind your back. Dr. Hilfer says clicks are nothing new. Teens have been trying to figure out how to deal with them for years. I would certainly tell a kid who was excluded from, from a clique to um, try to recognize that these groups aren't for everybody. That's the same advice Carol Weston gives in her book, For Teens Only. Carol says she often hears teens say, no one likes me. I would say there's such a difference between no one likes me and I want to be popular. I mean, I want to be popular. A lot of people feel that and then it's almost like they grow out of it and they realize that it is more valuable to have a couple of friends than to be, you know, one of the popular kids. Here's more advice in dealing with clicks, and some of it comes from teens like you. Don't be one of the herd. Find people who, who you are more compatible with instead yeah. of just trying to get into a specific group. Choose your friends based on who they are, not the group they belong to. Just ignore the actual cliques and try to get to know people as individuals. Value your individuality. Your own self-esteem is often the best protection against cliques. If the cliques that you don't hang out with like bother you, just ignore them. Finally, be yourself. If they don't like you as you really are, they're not worth having as friends. Do you know that girl Hazel? Yeah, the weirdest girl in school. She is so weird. And if you're in a clique that's hurting other people or hurting you, find new friends. What do you mean you're tired of it? I'm tired of it. I'm sick of do treating people that way. Because you don't want to be mean. You don't want to be exclusive. You want to be a nice guy. Whatever then. Okay. I think the best advice comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, a strong woman and former first lady. She said that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Want news you can use? So when you watch the right-wing cliques come together, you see them. They're all, like, moving around. Suddenly you've got Tommy Lahren back on the scene, uh, you know, Candace. So they're all going on Fox. Fox wasn't pro anything. Now they are, right, because they totally fucked that up. That operation failed completely. So now they're trying to recover, right, to create that polarization because they fucked it up. Actually, we fucked it up. 
right? Because they're really pissed. Like Tracy Beans Diaz, whatever her name is, fucking all these tools, that guy that looks like a dildo, Brian Cates, all of them, right? They're upset that you're not paying attention to them anymore. They're upset. So they're trying to find where they fit and you've just excluded them because you're ignoring what the fuck Jack Posobiec says. You're like, dude, your wife before she met you was a George Soros operative. Get out of here. Your husband was MI6. Out of here. Like no one's listening to you. Stop. You already know this shit and you're not reporting it. Oh, you need your job. So you're towing the line. See, real reporters are people like Emerald Robinson who lost her job, not because of a fucking tweet, but because they told her, go easy on the Biden admin. And she was like, nah, I'm not going to go easy on anyone. I'm going to ask the same fucking questions. They were asking Trump. I'm going to go all. That's real journalism. See, that's a person that doesn't belong to a clique. That person is independent and just right there, right? When they don't care. They, oh, so-and-so saying this, so I'm on team da-da-da. Fuck your teams. You should only be on one team, and that's Team America. Oh, but so-and-so is destroying America. That's what he said, and this one's destroying. It's like, that's fine. Just watch. You don't have to pick a team. Just sit back and watch. Be on your own team, okay? All these people look at you as a market share. That's what they're upset about, that they can't take your money anymore, right? That you're not doing this digital red string anymore, right? And you're just like, this is all bullshit, man. Shut up. This was not what Q was intended for, okay? It wasn't intended to make people money and do shit like that. It wasn't intended like that. And, you know, it would be nice for those that, oh, I'm, I am I know Q. I like decode. I know everything. And then fucking go decode back and see what he says about you. She says, he says, we say about you. That's the way you can see what's really going on, what's really, really going on. That's how you can see. You sit back. Don't pick teams. The only team you should be is America team, okay? When they're telling you this, 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 no, 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 no. They need to go read back. I'm pretty sure we said something like, what was it? What was um, hmm, people you thought were good? Really not. And the whole point is you need to raise them up. You need to have them high up on that pedestal so you can see them. And once you see them, you watch them fucking fall. So right now, that is what I was talking about yesterday was they see people as a market share. They don't give a fuck if their country's on fire. They just want your money. They just want your attention. Love me. Adore me. Praise me. Look at me. I look good. I'm so smart. I say all the right things. Look, ooh, ah, mm, and look at me having a great time. <laughs> Wait, what was it? Did you guys know that OAN is funded 100% by AT&T? I just thought I'd throw that fun fact out there. Just super fun fact that I found today. But anyway, what you need to think about is just simply your nation. And the minute they start telling you that they're this, you saw the PSYOP, right? The Jack Posobiec deployed, right? Where he had his guy call, turned out he was from freaking Oregon and said the let's go brand. He had that exclusive. It was so bullshit. You could see right through it, right? So bullshit. They're just playing with you. They're just completely playing with you. They're using your mind and screwing it for their benefit while you're losing everything. 
And then there's some of them that are screwing your mind because, you know, they just think that, yeah, you know, someone's going to come in on a white horse. I don't know. I mean, I'm 230 pounds. I don't think I want to get on a horse anytime soon, but we can all go on a choo-choo train and take it down. Anyway, let's look at these clicks again, because there's a huge impact with social clicks. And this is what we're experiencing. I do think there's social clicks in my way high school. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Um, I think they can be seen as um, rednecks and preps or kind of um, by socioeconomic standards like middle class, lower class, upper class. Well, there's a lot of division, especially amongst the sports. Like you'll notice a very clicky feel about the cross team or the um, the like the Nordic team has like multiple clicks within it. it really so I just wanted to say now, while you hear these children talk about clicks in school, I want you to think of this. So Jack Posobiec stole shit that Millie and I had, right? And the map that we had sort that 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 she like shared with someone and he took and he pretended it was his. Why did he do that? When he knows that he didn't get that map. Why did he do that? He did that because he was like, well, you know, they're low on the totem pole. I'm up here. So I'm just gonna take the credit for it and everyone's gonna believe it. No one's gonna listen to that, right? No one's gonna listen to that. Um, this is what they do. This is why they steal stories and whatever, right? He wrote a book about a black lives matter and Antifa. He didn't penetrate shit. He took everything he learned from Millie and from our reporting and then fucking repurposed that and pretended it was him right? <laughs> and pretended it was him. So it's like, they do this, right? They do this because they believe that they're higher on the food chain. You know, there were, uh, uh, Turning Point USA actually spoke to a journalist I know and said, yeah, you know, we'd invite you, but you know, optics. It's like, bitch, who do you think you are? That person should take their 1 million followers and should have plastered that shit everywhere, but they didn't. I would have. And it's like, no, you're not important. You think you're important because they, everybody, all your friends tell people that you're important. You see how they work? They circle jerk each other. Like, look, we're important. We have the stories. You don't have shit, dude. You would have absolutely zero if it wasn't from you stealing it from average people and not giving them credit. It's complete BS. I'm trying to point this out because this is going to be very important coming in 2022. You will have to see how it works. I mean, uh, I understand that they just, you know, I got a family, you know, I got, I got to do my business, you know, nothing, nothing against you or anything. It's like, dude, no, whatever money you make now, you will lose in a heartbeat when you, when you, when you make money on somebody else's neck. And on somebody else's goods, the fast it comes in, the faster it will go. Ask all those decoders where they are now and the praying with the EY people. Where are they now? It depends on what clubs you're doing. Like the band kids will really group around each other. But like it's really you don't notice 
much. Like the lunches, the way they space the lunches, you'll notice that if you're in the same lunch as somebody, then you'll really know them. But like if somebody's in a separate lunch, we'll barely know they're in the school. I think there's a lot of uh, division between where families come from. A lot of people from Middlebury are kind of stick together, and a lot of people from not Middlebury stick together, like Bridport. You want me to just label them as they label themselves? Yeah. Okay. Rednecks, preps. The other day someone told me that jocks is the same as preps. So I was like, oh, and then there's the jocks. And they said, no, they're the same as the preps. Um, then I think there's your drama and kind of your artsy crew. I think there's also your more musical crew as well. So that's band. But I don't know what they go by. Um, I mean, it's fine to have your group of friends, but I think it's, it can also, like, keep people from actually socializing, just, like, based on who they, like, think they are. I see them as good. Um, I think it's natural in an environment. Not everyone can be friends. Not everyone's going to be um, the same type of person. There's all sorts of diversity at high school, and I think that's a good thing. I think when um, there's problems, that's when... There's like bad relationships between the groups, which I don't really think is a thing here. Do you want to talk about this scientifically? Sure. It, it's almost like a it's like a preservation thing. You need to find your your tribe or whatever. <laughs> like it's like it's a sense of not wanting to be alone. So you really need to become a part of this thing, this clique, to feel like you're going to survive high school for a long time you know i thought oh, you know it's just not okay to call them preps it's not okay to call them rednecks or you know the drama kids because you're you're putting them in a box and then in talking with the kids that's how they self-identify too within their own group and they're proud everybody who they own that it's a badge and it's not something that is in any way a negative connotation i don't think you could say that across the board everybody would say that but for the most part i think that there's real ownership and comfort and security in being a part of that group and naming it and owning it. People are going to naturally group in some way or another. Um, I think the only kind of detrimental thing is if people feel extremely excluded and isolated from one community that they want to be integrated into. As far as positive things, I think that being part of a clique and feeling secure in that can kind of eliminate a sense of vulnerability that otherwise people might have. And especially in a place like high school, if you have a tight knit group of people, um, that can kind of help raise your, your own inner confidence about who you are. That being said, it could also kind of detract from who, if you're like always trying to conform to one group, it might detract from, other parts of your personality. So that was the important part. You don't need to focus on them liking you or sharing you or giving you the time of day because they really don't give a fuck about you, right? It's all about their little group. I wear loafers. I have like a lot of tattoos and I like block gas of things. Oh, look at me. I take pictures with so-and-so. Oh, I fight like a Lynn or I fight like a Flynn or I fight like a burn. And it's like, shut up, dude. We're supposed to be on the same team. Why are you making all these pockets? 
The more you stay segregated, but you look at how from a very young age, people create those clicks. They learn that shit from their parents. Oh, you can't hang out with that kid. You know, <laughs> when I was going for the best freaking hot cocoa and I still, I haven't gone to the house to open up the suitcase for the cocoa. And I really wanted some now that really best hot cocoa place. Um, we were walking about <clears throat> and Phoebe was like, so mom, like, what kind of people did you hang out with? I was like, kids from the projects. I was a black sheep. I'd hang out with everyone. But I identified with them more because they were free-spirited. They didn't have to play some stupid role or anything like that. True story. And I would find that people that gave zero fucks about what anyone had to say about them were the people that I wanted to engage with my whole life right? The ones that genuinely didn't, not the ones that pretended, you know, not the ones that pretended, yeah, I don't care. And then they're out fucking knee, knee, knee over here and there. That's the way I was as a kid, right? Um, I stood on my own. They're like, oh, we're having a party, um, but you can't come with your friend. And I'm like, um, yeah, I don't want to come anyway. So my friend doesn't want to come anyway. So no point. This is the way I would chill with. And, and when I say friends, right, the only time that I would see kids my age when I was in New York was gym, English, um, and art. Those are the only classes that they actually had me in um, for junior high. Uh, so, uh, you know, so that way I can have social whatever. Right? But when I was in high school, I was a kid and I was talking with kids that were older than me and nobody gave me shit because I would call them out. You know, like when the girls, you know, with their little mean group girl came and they'd say something, I'd be like, ew, uh, what? Shut up. You know, fourth grader or some bullshit they would come out with. And I'm like, yeah, that's how stupid you are. I'm here with you. You know, I would just say things like that and they would shut up because it's like, where are they going to come back from that one? So, um, the, the point, the point of the, the point of the matter here is in our society right now and in our politics and in our media and in our entertainment, we have these clicks that, you know, tell you, you must do this. You must follow me. I know you must No, trust nobody. Your gut, that inner piece of you, that your soul can tell you exactly what it is. It's like a light struggling to get out. Let that, let that light out. Let it embrace you. And suddenly you can see clearly because your brains are computers. But before we get into that, let me show you why these clicks don't like you. They don't like you at all because you're breaking the mold. Aside from the fact that our lawsuits have, oh, look at them. They're so stupid. Like they're not even legally sound lawsuits. Shut up, idiot. Keep your mouth shut. Sit there. Wipe the Doritos on your shirt, right? <clears throat> Do what you say. Do whatever you say, right? Which is absolutely nothing. Go on to a stage and preach while you do nothing, right? And tell the people that are actually doing something and making record of something and putting feet to the fire of something, how they're just going to lose. It's like, shut up. Just be quiet. Here's what else you did. You guys remember when the Louisiana people went down to their AG and the Texas and other states, um, but the Louisiana, here's where it gets really good. 
You guys remember where Attorney General Landry, the little crying vagina, you know, oh, they hurt my feelings. They keep sending letters and I want to be governor. And how he said, I told Trump to his face. There's no going back from it. There is no no, no, no. And we're not doing this. No, no, no. You remember? See, when you're righteous and you're doing things for the right purpose, there's efficacy. It's like that story in the Bible. You'll go once, you'll go twice, you'll go three times, and then the judge will be like, fuck it, just give it to them. Let me show you how that tune changed. Steve did not comb his hair today. <laughs> Let's go. Ellie. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Charlie Thanks, Kelly. Guys. Thank you. A tough broad from Chicago. She and her wingman, Liz Yord. Thank you so much for American greatness. Darren Beatty, thank you, sir. Thank you. Mike Lindell. Blindell, you're the hardest working man. You know, most people that had your resources or had your had, you know, what you have, what you've done and built would just be taking it easy, be on some yacht somewhere or maybe back betting on football, hanging out in Vegas at the sports book. You're you're everywhere every day working for this. Country. The reason I admire you so much, you you make me look like a piker. I think I'm the hardest working guy around. I, I call you and you're either on a plane or you're flying somewhere and you're, you're 30 meetings a day. Get us up to speed on what's been going on because, man, you have been grinding. <laughs> yeah, I just got back on a, a trip uh, where we're, we're actually going to do a mini movie on, uh, on what's going to be happening now with the uh, – actually with the, a filing we're going to do with Dominion. Uh, everybody that uh, – we now, after a five-month investigation, have all of the the uh, data that they basically Dominion, starting in Colorado, deleted the 2020 election, and they remember. Okay. Hey, I just, I just, I just, I just want to bring. Hey, hold on, I just want to bring. I just got a thing because last night I think it was on MSNBC. They're going. They say, MSNBC says, Mike, that Dominion's running the tables on you that they've won every time they come up for a Trump judge, they look at it and say, Hey, no, Mike Lindell, you're going to trial Rudy. You got other people now suing people, new suits coming in all the time. So just walk us through the basic. How can, how can there be two set of facts here? How can MSNBC say you're getting smoked and you're saying, Hey, I've got this and I'm going a different direction. Just, just bridge that gap. Well, you got all the propaganda that uh, comes from MSNBC, all the lies, all the, uh, the narrative that they've been pushing for years now, um, the left narrative. And then you have the conservative media that went completely south on us. That's the biggest threat to our country there is because they don't talk about what's really going on. I'm here to tell you that right now, don't, we are on the winning side. We are just keep, it just keeps getting better and better and What's going on now is the the stuff that they deleted, which now will be in a filing with the judges to get these Dominion lawsuits dismissed once and for all. Get rid of the frivolous over 200 lawsuits and threatening letters to Americans in this country that did nothing. A lot of them, all they did were poll watchers and they got attacked by Dominion. This company that every that MSNBC and every other person, every other terrible outlet loves out there. What's, what's the going to be, people. but what's, what's, what's in the filings that's going to be the game changer. You're saying you're doing new filings what, with new information and, right. and that new information right. in the filings, the courts are finally going to say, hey, I understand what Mike Lindell's saying in, in Dominion. You, you were wrong. So tell us what's in the filings. 
Oh, we just dropped Mike Lindell. Came for the key key moment to build up the drama and then lost it. Okay, we're gonna get we're trying to get Mike back up. Um, that was not pre-planned, by the way. <laughs> so, but you know, Mike Lindell has been going around. The, he's, he's got a two-prong attack here, right? And and look, I'm long Mike Lindell. The reason is is that Mike is a hard worker. He's dedicated his life to this. He could be going and doing everything. You know, building. He's taking great hits on the on the on the company. Um, remember all his big box. Uh, distribution centers dropped out you know all the big box stores dropped out where he built the company the the he he couldn't uh he's not advertised i don't think on fox anymore i think he's got some for the for the frank speech but it, but the rest of them have dropped out the real advertising so he lost i don't know 60 percent of his of his uh the, the um methodologies of which he drove gross revenue and yet he didn't lay anybody off uh, he could have gone back and just focused on rebuilding the company, but he didn't. He spent half his time. Let's think about a year ago this time. You know, it's it really before we started having Lindell on, I think, because he's run around so much, you know, trying to, uh, to get to the bottom of 3 November. We got Mike back up. So, Mike, uh, we just dropped you. Uh, right. So, tell us, the filings are going to be, what's what's in the filings that's okay. going to change this? And, and what, why, why, why weren't they in there? Uh, why weren't they in there originally? Okay, these now these filings. Now I want everybody to be clear. We'll talk about the Supreme Court case in a second. This is separate. This is all the 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 lawsuits that Dominion attacked. My Pillow, Mike Lindell, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Fox News, OAN. Um, the list goes on and on. They filed over two hundred frivolous lawsuits so that they wouldn't want you or anybody finding out what's inside these machines. What we found, Steve. Since the cyber symposium, it's been a five or six month investigation starting in Colorado. It's called the trusted build where Dominion went in there, said it was a maintenance thing. And they went in there and deleted files. We now know what they deleted, what they what they had before they came in and deleted the files. And it is the evidence that's there now would actually overturn and bring down everything in a normal world. I mean, that would be, it'd be over. It going, everybody's going, whoa, there it is. It's all the, all the uh, evidence that uh, what the computers did to this election. But here's right. what we're going to use it to get it out there. Remember, it was, a, it was a, a federal felony, a state felony, but also, Steve, they have to preserve evidence in every case. Remember, they sent threatening letters to all the poll watchers saying, you've got to preserve evidence. And these poor poll watchers said, what did I do? They don't even know what they did. Well, they got to preserve evidence too. And, and so we bring this filing there. The end result is in any, it's like throwing a gun in a river where you killed someone. You can't throw away the evidence. Yep. So that's let, what they've let, tried let, to do. But let, this will hang, do. Hang, let, let's, go to, let's, go, let, let's go to commercial break. Just when's the, when's this filing going to take place? Uh, it should be by within the next two weeks. Um, we, we've got it all ready to go. We've just got to, got, Get it filed in D.C. with uh, yeah. with the judge. They're going to argue, by the way, they did this at the direction of the st- secretaries of state in Colorado, specifically the secretary of state. That then I think they directed them to do it. it, it look, it's, it's going to be I'm just not saying who's well, she right. She can who's go wrong. to prison, too, to... Steve. She can go to prison just because you're a politician doesn't mean you can't go to prison. Mike, I'm glad you didn't lose any of the edge while you're flying around the country doing all these meetings. Still Mike Lindell. Short commercial break. Back with Mike Lindell in a moment. Monitors us. Censors us. Deplatforms us. Now, coming for and today. Tons of stuff. we got special shows. Yeah, so I skip anything with a torch. 
So let's get to the really juicy part where you guys have done some awesome stuff. I was going to just blow people away over the next couple of days. Let's go back to Mike Lindell. So, Mike, before we get to Supreme Court uh, action, you know, look, I think what at least what the Secretary of State seems to be saying is that this was I think this is part of the big controversy with Tina Peters and all these people is that she ordered this. It's her within her purview to do it. I mean, we'll find out. You'll fight in court. I do want to say it's it's fascinating to me that so far when you say they're frivolous suits, it has been Trump judges, mainly Trump appointed judges that have been telling, you know, ruling that across the board and all these that these cases go forward. Is that not the case? Well, they, uh, that is that is true that they uh They've ruled to go forward where actually we're appealing ours. I want to, I just got a text by lawyer here while, while we were on break. And uh, Dominion is required to preserve evidence regardless of what some crooked secretary of state says. Uh, so if a criminal tells you to do a criminal act, you don't do the criminal act or you're also a criminal. So they, that's why they all kind of flock together out there in Colorado. Um, and, and, uh, I, did, the, I just, I, wanted, hold I just, I just, I, but I love Mike Lindell's, I love Mike Lindell's modus operandi. It gets the text from the, from the lawyer. Boom. I'm just going to go with it. Okay. I got it. So what else, what else is going on? And, on I will, these suits? and I do want to, I do want to tell everybody this. So combined with that, we're not just bringing that to the, to the judge. We also, we, uh, there's a Halderman report that, um, that is a judge is blocking from releasing in, in the state of Georgia, remember it's against uh, crooked Brad Rassenberger, the Secretary of State. There, um, this is per, this is it, Professor this is Professor Halderman, the the, the famous cat's an expert in this. He correct. wrote this. And that report. That report says that Dominion machines are used to steal votes. They are they are defective machines. Everybody, if you're a commissioner out there, get ahead of the game. Get rid of those machines. Get your money back. The, Taxpayers paid for but those you, have you read have you read have you read a, a unredacted version of the Halderman report? I thought it was redacted everywhere. Have you actually read a redact an unredacted version of the Halderman report? So you've seen all the facts? Well they they want there's a there's a lot of facts there. I've read some of some of the things, but I will say this is that judge doesn't want it out because even Halderman wants it out to release it to the government so we can uh, and uh, one of the things is we just went. Remember, it was Russell Newman that went down to Georgia with my filing against the um, uh, Georgia judge, right, in federal court and said, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically I sued them and said, I want this report. You need to give it to me, uh, Miss Tottenberg. Give it to me. And they didn't object. Okay. So they messed up. They haven't objected. So now we're putting a motion to compel to provide that report. Now, let me tell you something. This report, um, isn't like super explosive. I'm going to tell you that because, you know, I may or may not have seen that. But it actually validates, right? It actually validates my affidavit in certain points. So regardless if the judge uh, now that was appointed uh, to um, uh, will compel them or not, it's going to be interesting because now I've got them on the record for not officially you know, objecting 
to my subpoena. They didn't officially object, which means mm, they're in trouble because they didn't officially object. So I'm going to get that report regardless. And that's thanks to Congressman Cohen and Pelosi's house attorneys because they thought that they were threatening me. Oh my God, we're going to take you to federal court. It's going to cost you a lot of money. We're going to drag everyone there. Great, great. Drag us to federal court. Thank you very much. Thank you very By the way, one of the people uh, that I had sued totally went in pro se, didn't freaking send any notification that they went pro se. They wanted a freaking hearing and nobody got notification because everything's on paper. So we never got mail or anything like that. Try to get, don't worry about it. You'll get yours. If you talk shit, you got to be ready to eat it too. So Halderman report, key thing. I'm going to get that. I'm getting that. Steve, to the uh, Louisiana Secretary of State, a group uh, went there and we showed him the replacement of the machines. Remember, we have it all set up. We're going to go around the country over the next seven months getting the machines replaced uh, in every state, all 3,000 some counties. But I will tell you this, that when we went there, that Louisiana Secretary of State now, he said he reached out to that judge and said, hey, we want this report. This affects us too. In that report, it named 16 states. Why would a judge suppress a report like that that uh, that says the Dominion machines are defective and they and they can are hackable and they don't they don't they don't work for what they're supposed to do? Give a fair election. So we, these my, my, things are all the yeah, the cards are okay, crumbling I, around Dominion. Okay. Here's I want to go real quick. I've got a couple of minutes of Supreme Court, but I assume if the secretary of state of the great state of Louisiana and there's no bigger Trump state than Louisiana, I imagine the secretary of state's all gung ho to take out the machines. I have to assume that the attorney general is going to be one of the first guys. I don't want to name names, probably one of the first guys to sign up as as one of the plaintiffs in the uh, going to the Supreme Court with your material. Is that would that be correct, sir? Well, not in the old version. I think he was very, uh, old Jeff Landry was very uh, adamant that it, he, uh, there's nothing going wrong in, in, in uh, Louisiana. So if you are in Louisiana, you might want to give Jeff a call, the attorney general there, and say, hey, Jeff, that the changes have been made in the Supreme Court complaint now, and you should definitely be one of the first people to sign. And when we get, when we go around next week and get everybody's signature, this is the, these were requests by the attorney general, Steve, that, uh, uh, to make this, uh, uh, to basically here, when you get it to the Supreme court, we really believe now with the changes, they will accept it nine zero. I believe that. And, uh, and there should be no reason now when you see this, when you see this canoe one come out, there should be no reason the two that did say no, which was Landry and the Alabama attorney general, they better be right there with the rest of them signing too, because they uh, okay. just because their state's mostly red doesn't mean it didn't happen there. In fact, Alabama's one of the worst states it happened in. We need to spend more time with this. So I'm going to try to get with your people and get you back on here tomorrow, Mike, uh, because this oh. is something that you've dedicated your life to. I know you're fighting the, uh, the um the machines and you're fighting the uh the the whole thing with the machine companies but the supreme court's a whole different path that yeah. you still are adamant that this thing's got to be de decertified and turned around yes. so 3 november stays with us as we're now coming up on the uh the the first uh the first anniversary of january 6th and january 20th and you see where the nation is today this is not me saying it 
This is them saying and, it's total chaos. And, and how even about the, even the end, broadcast? And Steve, how right, about sir? the anniversary of January 9th when I got all the evidence brought to me on a silver platter? Let's not forget that, everybody, on January 9th when here this evidence that took me five months to validate. You were going to do a whole special about you on January 9th. Okay, we got to bounce. We'll be back here at 5. Mike Lindell, you're a patriot and a hero, and you're unfiltered. You're an armor-piercing shell. That's why I love you, brother. Thank you very much for joining us today. Aww. Thanks. God bless. The great Mike Lindell. I love nice Steve Bannon. You know why? He plays so eloquently. I don't play nice. I don't play nice at all. But did you guys hear that, Louisiana? Wasn't the AG like, no, I'm not going to get on that. And now he's suddenly like, yeah, you know, I might actually get on this. And it's like, you had everything to do with that. You, the people, actually got that shit done. Okay? You got it done. That's the deal. You got it done. So it's going to be pretty, 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 pretty awesome. Okay. Pretty awesome. And, um, I, you know, Steve, I sometimes think the things that he puts out, obviously, you know, he's got better operations set up than I do. Right. But he's like a male version of me. That's more above board. Right. I was always below board in the shadows, you know, um, <clears throat> Always <laughs> with the with the assumed identities and shit. He's above board and he does amazing uh, work. And he uh, treats uh, <laughs> not the good ones so eloquently. Before we go to break, I wanted to to let you guys know Putin just made a lot of people today because. Um, he <laughs> he said things <laughs> that a lot of people didn't want to hear. So I wanted to, uh, before we cut to break, I wanted to play this because <laughs> it was super hilarious to watch. Please take a listen. Пол. Возможно, вы слышали, достались даже Джоан Раулинг, на которую ополчились даже актеры Гарри Поттер. So the question that's being posed is, you know, this cancel culture, the not calling people mom, dad, that they're not assumed roles, you know, the gender questions. This is what he's asking Putin. And even J.K. Rowling, you know, uh, you know, pushed forward with Harry Potter and the actors kind of ganged up on her when she stood firm on certain things. Because she was radical in saying that a woman is a woman and a man is a man. J.K. Rowling Right. So now they're asking Putin these questions. А мужчина это мужчина. Какое у вас отношение к новой этике? Придет ли это карета ценностей в Россию и не превратится ли борьба государства за традиционные ценности опять же, как это было в СССР, в борьбу с субкультурными субкультурами молодежными so this was a very good question. He's like, do you think this caravan of new wave of culture where we're genderless and shit comes to Russia? And then will it turn into a fight against the youth subcultures and organizations the way it was in the USSR? You know, where they were, uh, well, obviously they were then fighting for freedom. Now they're going to be fighting to not have a gender. So this, his response is really good. Organizations. 
Ну, очень бы хотелось, чтобы, во-первых, то, что эта карета пойдет неизбежно. В условиях сегодняшнего мира с интернетом, с коммуникациями современными, это неизбежно. Просто... He says it's kind of like the coronavirus epidemic. Of course, this caravan will travel with the internet and uh, communications. Ding, ding, ding. Это так же, как и пандемия коронавирусной инфекции. И новые штаммы, они все появляются и появляются. И нам от этого никуда не деться. Нам нужно просто противоядие но если кто-то считает, что э, э, женщина и мужчина это одно и то же, ну, ну ради бога, но ну, существует же какой-то здравый смысл. Смысл. Вот я боюсь ошибиться, боюсь ошибиться, но, по-моему, вряд ли я ошибусь. Вот в Штатах, по-моему, вот если говорили. Ксения задавала вопрос про, про, про места лишения свободы. По-моему, в Штатах. Если я ошибусь, не сердитесь строго на меня. Значит, не судите меня строго, не сердитесь. Значит, сиелец один объявил себя женщиной, сидевшей за изнасилование. Объявил женщиной, потребовал перевода его в женскую So um, Putin says, you know, there was this other lady earlier, I show something he said her name was, uh, that asked a question in regard to the prisons. Because in the U.S., some guy was convicted and identified as a woman, so he wanted to go to a woman's prison, so they put him in a woman's prison. And he promptly raped his female cellmate. Здравый смысл-то какой-то должен быть во всем. Или спортсмены. Объявляют себя мужчины, объявляют себя женщины и выступают, ну скажем, в тяжелой атлетике. Или еще по какому-то виду спорта. Женский спорт перестанет существовать совсем. Then we have no women's sports. They cease to exist. Ну, здравый смысл должен быть какой-то. Я придерживаюсь той... Э... You know, then they cease to exist. We have to uphold... I uphold, he says, the uh, uh, common sense traditional approach that a woman is a woman and a man is a man. Того традиционного подхода, что женщина это женщина, мужчина мужчина. Мама... Это мама. Мам is a mom and a father is a father. Отец это отец. И надеюсь, что у нашего общества есть внутренняя моральная защита. And here's the key. I hope that our society has inner moral protections that are dictated by the traditional faiths in Russia. Now the reason I wanted to uh, show you that before Uh, the break is because we're going to get into secularism and understand what it is. So on that note, let's take a quick break and um, get some coffee going. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. 
So now let's get into the really good stuff. Let's get into the good stuff um, of secularism. But before we do, I want you guys to see what computers your brains are. If brains are computers, who designs the software? Last few years when I've given lectures, uh, they've very much helped me write write the book that's now emerged, and. Uh, I was thinking, just as you were introducing me, of a science teacher I had when I was 16 or so, who said a wonderful thing, a physics teacher. He said, science done right is one of the humanities. And I thought, oh, what a great idea. And uh, I sort of kept that in, the, in my mind all along. And when Anthony at the New College of the Humanities uh, asked me, and of course I'm a philosopher, to do my thing, I knew that I was encouraged to talk about the science that I was interested in and the, science that I, the scientific ideas, which I think are also important philosophical ideas, and that's what I'm going to talk about tonight. So thank you all for coming. Um, if some of you have seen my uh, Royal Institution talk of about two years ago, you will recognize a few slides. This is a, a later uh, uh, development of, uh, of my thinking and it pretty much lines up with what's in my new book uh, called From Bacteria to Bach and Back. Um, <clears throat> uh, here's a sort of punchline, should be fairly obvious. Uh, we are the first intelligent designers in the tree of life. Now, this is my favorite diagram of the Tree of Life. And uh, if you see, th this is the present all along here. This is the origin of life. So time goes out here. And here are the earliest life forms, the bacteria and the archaea. And here's this great, great moment, the uh, eukaryotic revolution, which led to this wonderful fanning out of all the, basically all the living things you can see with your naked eye. And we, that little why there, well, that's about six million years. And uh, that's how long we've been separated from our common ancestor with the chimpanzee. So human beings have only been on the scene, oh, for just, just a tiny little bit of this diagram. And I'm claiming that, uh, uh, is there intelligent design? Yes. 
uh, intelligent designers in this room by the dozens. Uh, and our scientists and artists are intelligent designers. So the, the problem then that I'm facing in this book is how did intelligent designers evolve? If natural selection is not intelligent design, and it isn't, uh, how did small i, small d intelligent designers evolve? And some people have real trouble with it, including somebody who's going to be here, I understand, in the next month, and that's Roger Penrose, who says, I am a strong believer in the power of natural selection, but I do not see how natural selection in itself can evolve algorithms which could have the kind of conscious judgments of the validity of other algorithms that we seem to have. He goes on, to my way of thinking, there is still something mysterious about evolution and its apparent groping towards some future purpose. Things at least seem to organize themselves somewhat better than they ought to, just on the basis of blind chance evolution and natural selection. Now, that's a bit of Darwin doubting by one of the most eminent scientists around, and he's far from alone. There are a lot of I like the way he puts it, too, because he's a great believer in our natural selection, but it bothers him. And he's nagging thought that there's, there's got to be something that doesn't quite add up. And I'm going to try to point out what it is and then show you how to get yourself out of that puzzle. And here's the way it could go. How could a slow, mindless process build a thing that could build a thing that a slow, mindless process couldn't build on its own. There does seem to be something faintly miraculous or pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps there. And uh, my book is an attempt to answer that, that question. Well, of course, you know the answer. First, you evolve Alan Turing. <laughs> And then he intelligently designs a computer, and we're home. <laughs> but how do we get an Alan Turing? How do we evolve an Alan Turing? Well, the answer, of course, is natural selection. But this is the main point of my book, in a way. Not just natural selection of genes. We have to also talk about cultural evolution and the natural selection of means. Richard Dawkins' idea of cultural units that replicate differentially and the ones that, that replicate best are fitter, survive, and make more, and that human culture is the, is the medium, the source, and ultimately the power uh, that makes somebody like Alan Turing possible. Well, this idea suggests uh, a question, the question in, in my, in my uh, title. So are brains computers? I say, if brains are computers, then who writes the software? Well, let's pause and look at whether our brains are computers at all. And some people think not. Uh, some insist that they aren't. Uh, there are scientists, such as Roger Penrose, very clear about that in his book, The Emperor's New Mind. Jerry Edelman, the late Nobel laureate, and I was a little puzzled by Jerry's uh, uh, insistence that brains were not computers while he modeled brains on computers and used his models to demonstrate 
why a computer couldn't do that sort of thing, which was a problem that Jerry had. But there's also Jack uh, uh, Panksepp, some of you may know, uh, an eminent neuroscientist whose main area of interest is, is uh, emotion. Um, but there's philosophers as well, of course. Um, uh, John Searle comes to mind famously, and your own Raymond Tallis. And I'm not going to say any more about either one of them tonight. I've had my say elsewhere. Because I want to talk about computer phobia, uh, and in fact, in two different varieties of computer phobia, which is my perhaps somewhat rude term for those who really don't like the idea that our brains are computers at all. Um, if brains aren't computers, what are they? Well, they're not pumps. They're not factories. They're not purifiers. The task of brains is to take information in and yield control. Of course they're computers. That's what a computer is. It uses information to, to control something. Uh, this is not the kind of computer that, uh, that the uh, people are imagining. So I want to help you imagine a different kind of computer, uh, an organic, if you like, or an evolved computer, uh, which is what I think we have between our ears. So the misimagination of computers is something that needs a diagnosis, and I'm going to try to provide it. And I'm going to make a new suggestion. Well, it's a newish suggestion because others have made it before. But I want to remind you that there have been a number of attempts to say, well, brains are sort of like computers, but they aren't. Uh, well, you know, they're, they're not made of silicon, they're made of protein. That's not what I think is important. Uh, they're not digital, they're analog. That's largely true, but I don't think that's the important point. They're not serial, they're parallel. True, but that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on something else entirely. The difference between cooperative and competitive computers. I mean, computers that are made of cooperative versus competitive parts. So the default image that most of us have of computation, and certainly say that Roger Penrose has, is that it's ultra-efficient, there's no waste motion, no cross-purposes, and there's redundancy only for safety. It's hierarchically organized, where routines call subroutines and the subroutines answer. It's all like a well-oiled corporation with, with uh, chains of command and, and control all the way up and down. And there's also controlled prioritization. That is, there are, as it were, built-in traffic cops that decide what happens next. You don't have any fighting over that. And there is competition in the brain, uh, I mean in computers, but it's, it's, as it were, friendly opponent processes. There's sort of tugs of war that are carefully set up in order to resolve some issue uh, in a tug of war sort of way. But, but it's, it's not, as it were, deadly competition. It's just uh, for the sake of finding a, a midpoint, usually something like that. Um, the computer scientist Eric Baum has a nice name for this kind of architecture. He calls it the Politburo architecture or Politburo control, like the old Soviet Union. 
I want to compare that with what one of my postdocs once called brain wars. In brain wars, we have real, not notional competition. It's even in some cases a matter of life or death. You have microagents with their own agendas, neurons, astrocytes, glial cells, but neurons are the ones I'll concentrate on. Tecumseh Fitch, a friend of mine and colleague, in a paper called Nano-Intentionality in Biology and Philosophy of a few years ago, spells out the idea pretty clearly that individual neurons are agents, and they're semi-autonomous, and they do have agendas. And that's very different from what you have in your digital computer. So I want you to compare Marx to each according to his needs, from each according to his talents. Compare that with dog-eat-dog, free-for-all, laissez-faire capitalism, where there's no central or higher control. Uh, cooperation does happen, but it's not a precondition. It's an intermittent achievement. Okay? Now, having presented this stark contrast, I do need to uh, do a preemptive noting of the irony, what I'm not saying. You might think, uh-oh, Dennett has... Uh, fallen in with the likes of Ayn Rand and Milton Friedman and laissez-faire capitalism. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not a fan of that view of the economy, but still, centrally planned economies don't work, and neither do centrally controlled top-down brains. Neither do centrally controlled, hierarchically organized, top-down brains. Even the best cognitive architectures that have been developed so far in cognitive science have tended to be too disciplined, too neat, to not have the sort of unruly competition that I think now is essential in an actual organic brain, especially a human brain. They're too bureaucratic, you might say. They have millions of identical elements, which is also important. I didn't really appreciate this uh, until very recently when I was talking with my good friend Rod Brooks, uh, roboticist, uh, extraordinary roboticist with whom I worked for some years on the COG project. Uh, but we've had these models of the brain ever since the McCulloch-Pitts neurons, which is one of the great oversimplifications of all times that came along uh, I can't remember the year right now, but it was in the 50s, I think, which uh, had these very simple uh, elements, logical neurons, which uh, emitted a single uh, branching output and had uh, bunches of inputs that could either have positive or negative inhibitory or, or excitatory uh, attachments or, or stimuli inputs, and then they summed the results, and they either fired or they didn't. That was a brilliant simplification, and they were they're wonderful little uh, thinking tools, uh, but brains aren't like that. 
This is misimagination. And when we think about computers, we tend to imagine the algorithms with which we are somewhat familiar. Things, you know, like Word and Photoshop and Google Desktop, which are all brilliantly designed from the top down with hierarchical control. And if we compare those with brains, just intuitively, you think, nah, nah, that's, the brains just aren't like that. And you're right. They aren't. But that doesn't mean they're not computers. It just means they aren't computers with Politburo control and top-down design software. They're not cold, orderly, ultra-efficient, and authoritarian machines composed of units that are mindless little machines. So we want to compare those models with, oh, how about the stock market? Is the stock market a computer? Is, this, is stock trading a computational phenomenon? Yeah, it is. And in fact, in a way, the proof of that is that those traders are, are, are being replaced by machines right now. And more and more stock trading is done entirely in the, in the digital world. Uh, and so whatever they were doing all those years was something that could be easily done by machines because machines are doing it now. But now let's look at neurons. I'm actually, for once, I'm going to ask you to look at a neuron. Let's see if this is running. Yes. This is a little looped bit of uh, uh, film. Uh, these are neurons in a dish. And you see they're putting out their little dendritic graspers and looking around. Here's another one. Is it going to make that connection? No, yes, no. Uh -huh. So I want you to replace the image you have of a, of a McCulloch-Pitts neuron with these squiggly little agents by the billions gathered in your brain and faced with the task of keeping life and limb together for you. Now, one thing that you get immediately when you start thinking of neurons in this more agent-like way is you get a, a good account of brain plasticity. As you no doubt know, if a little bit of your brain is damaged, very often, not always, but in many conditions, the, the neighboring parts of the brain that are spared can take over the work that was being done by that part that's, that's now died or gone missing. And some of the degrees of versatility of brain tissue, especially cortical tissue, is just stunning. Uh, uh, and experiments show, for instance, the famous Merzenich experiments where uh, he mapped the brain areas that were involved in the digits of, of a monkey and then sutured the fingers together so that the monkey just had three, three digits. And after a week or so, went in and looked at the areas that were responsible and saw that it was a reorganization of the cortex because there wasn't as much work to do. And so uh, 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 neurons were recruited to do jobs and other er for, other, for other purposes. And the way to think about this, I've decided, is these are neurons hungry for work. And they got to stay alive. Uh, you may remember a wonderful line from uh, um, uh, Francois Jacob, who once said, the dream of every cell is to become two cells. Which is good, true to a first approximation, but not true of neurons. Um, 
pretty much they're like mules. Uh, they are the offspring of cells, but they're not going to have any offspring of their own. Uh, so their dream is just to stay alive. But they got to stay alive. They got to fight for their energy. They, and the only way to to fight for their energy is to find useful work that they can get paid for. And so that's the kind of energetic economy that I think we have to replace the Politburo model where where all of this is taken care of in a bureaucratic way. Obviously, obviously, when a bit of brain tissue dies, there's no central personnel director who reassigns the neurons in the neighborhood. That has to be figured out in some sort of bottom-up way by the neurons, not by some boss uh, neuron or, or a commissar in, in some part of the brain. So there's no central administrator doing the reassignment at all. But, uh, moreover, no two neurons are exactly alike. And this is the point that I got from Rod Brooks, I, uh, which I mentioned earlier. Rod is an unusual man with many talents and many projects. And one of his, I don't know if he's finished it yet. I haven't spoken to him about this for, uh, it's a couple of years, I guess. He was going to make what I'm going to call a steampunk computer. A pre-electronic computer, no chips, not even any vacuum tubes. He was going to make a computer out of relays and solenoids and the sorts of electrical switching that you had before you had the electronic age at all, just to see if he could do it. And, of course, you can make a computer out of just about anything if you're clever enough. And so he set out to make a, an actual computer. He loves to solder and put wires between things and so forth. And he had a big room, not quite as big as this, but this is where he's building the computer. And, of course, the computer he was building would have, you know, a way, way less than 1% of the power and speed of, of your cell phone. Uh, but it was an energy hog, giant, a giant electrical, not electronic computer. And I was talking with him about the challenges of this. He said, you know, the hardest part of all was getting all the flip-flops exactly alike. Simply making them so exactly similar that you, that you could get reliable computation out of them. Uh, that you, The timing has to be precise. And the response has to be precise. And that was a major challenge for him as, as, the, as the builder of this. And he said, we've been taking for granted one of the features of the digital age, which is that the manufacturer, the manufacturing processes of chips are just stunningly high quality and regular. You, you, you can have a bubble memory with billions of just, just about exactly identical to the atom uh, little memory uh, uh, units or, or flip-flops, and uh, without that, you, you, the the architecture that you build on top of them wouldn't wouldn't work. Theme probably you say no, it's not like anything. It's a bunch of individuals. They may be very well organized, but they don't. The, the, it's not like anything to be the team, and it's not like anything to be a termite colony, which would seem to lead to the conclusion it's not like anything to have a brain or to be a brain. What is it like to be a human brain? It would seem to give the same answer. But then it sure seems to be like something. 
It's an important and obvious fact. There's no general Leslie Groves in your brain. And yet there seems to be. Certainly. Because it seems to be like something to be you, and that you that it seems to be like something is in charge. So now we have the question, how can we explain that there seems to be a general Leslie Groves in your brain when there isn't? Um, this is the view that is often called, or today often called, illusionism, that the whole idea that consciousness is a sort of useful illusion. And I see by uh, reviews uh, today in the New Statesman, uh, uh, otherwise very, very friendly and positive review, but the reviewer just thinks this idea that consciousness is some kind of illusion, it's just hopeless. Well... I beg to differ, but that's a long story, and I'm not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time on it. I've given you a hint about what the answer might be. So if we compare the organization of Oak Ridge to the organization of the mind-brain, and we compare it in GoFi, one of the things we see in this diagram, we see you have all these parts. I can't leave it up there while I ask my questions. Uh, does the lad know the know uh, know its job is acquiring a natural language? No. Uh, does the belief box understand its role in informing the other departments? No. Only the AI designers know the functions of the parts. The intelligent designers off on the side. GoFi is a top-down intelligent design. Now. This is not the threadbare uh, criticism that everything, everything uh, these AI systems know is what the creators installed in them. No, that, you know, garbage in, garbage out, nothing in the program that isn't known by the program creators. That's just not true. Even of those systems, it wasn't true. Uh, many of those systems go way beyond their creators and what they know. This is a point that the design of the architecture that supports this knowledge is top-down designed. It's hierarchical and efficient. So, actually, that's just the first kind of computer phobia that I wanted to try to alert you to and suggest a runaround. Yes, our brains are computers, but they're more like termite colonies than like your laptop. And that's all right. They can still be computers. Because competitive architectures are still computational architectures. The next source of computer phobia is, but the mind isn't software. And I have to admit that even some of my best friends think I'm nuts on this score. Among them, Steve Pinker and Paul Churchland. By the way, those two dudes, Steve Pinker and Paul Churchland, uh, were, well, for sure, Steve Pinker. I think Paul was, too, on Epstein's jet. But they haven't convinced me. And I'm going to defend the idea that, in fact, our minds are software running on that termite colony brain. And it's the software that distinguishes us from other animals. Bingo. So, see, even this is where I wanted you guys to see it. I wanted you guys to understand that this guy tells you that your brain is not a computer, but it's more like a termite colony, but it's software. And uh, it's uh, it was very important for you guys to hear him tee it up, where all of you were like, oh, this atheist thinks da-da-da. He's talking about AI, right? So artificial intelligence 
when you have a program and it's programmed to, I don't know, like do the accounting, uh, you know, and it distributes the accounting. It doesn't know that it's giving the accounting to 20 people. It just knows that it's distributing it. It's very key when I say this in regards to the software, because your software is written and rewritten with RNA. So I wanted to um, have you guys listen to all of that, which was a fantastic portion of the lecture, and listen to the end of that. Hold on. Now, here's where he talks about means. Take a listen. So we have phylogenetic trees like the tree of life, and we have glossogenetic trees which show uh, the evolution of languages, the, the Romance languages coming from Latin, for instance. You've, I don't need to show those to you. So now, then what does it mean? The other day I went and looked in, in the online Collins Dictionary and got a rude awakening. A meme is something such as a video, picture, or phrase that a lot of people sent to each other on the Internet. What a pedestrian definition. Goes on. Short for my meme, both coined by R. Dawkins, 1941, British biologist. <laughs> Not the best source of information. But indeed, the word was coined by Richard Dawkins, the author of The Selfish Gene, in his book in 1976. And one thing that's clear is that the meme meme has gone viral. Just a few days ago, on the television show Jeopardy in America, quiz show, the very same quiz show in which uh, IBM's Watson beat the human best uh, contestants of all times handily, uh, on Jeopardy, the term was used without mention of Dawkins and without definition for the contestants. So they had a whole board of questions about different kinds of memes. I'm not going to give you a chance to look at all those categories, but just, and nobody said boo about the fact that, that here are the categories were all memes. Is this what Dawkins meant when he coined the term in 1976? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. But I want to compare it to another scientific term, the Big Bang. I went online to check the Big Bang, which, of course, was coined by Fred Hoyle a few years earlier, astronomer. And what I found was that the first few pages of Google on Big Bang Theory were about the television sitcoms. Had to go to third page before I got anything about Fred Hoyle and, and, and the origins of the universe. Memetics. So memetics, right, um, it, it was actually just a study of how information and culture, right, um, are based on an evolving culture of communication, let's say, of information, right? And it describes the idea of, uh, you know, transferring an idea successfully. <clears throat> in the age that we're in now, uh, information must be transferred instantly. There's a sense of instant gratification. And I saw it while you guys were watching a great mind, you know, give you a lecture that people pay a shit ton of money to watch, which 
<clears throat> thank God we have it on, on, on YouTube to watch and share, right? Oh, get to the point. He's rambling. He's not rambling. He was giving you the foundations to understand where he was going with it. And, and that's the problem. This is how informor information warfare happens. Uh, you know, cognitive science, you know, wants to say that the actual brain is the computer, but I've told you that the brain itself does not store memories. It may create new connections, right? It may do things, but it's the software that houses all of that. This is where the, the junk DNA that they claim is, that is where it all is. You know, he was trying to explain the instant, the idea of information and software and communication and cognitive, you know, I, you know, I was, I was thinking this morning at some point I, um, I took a break because I was finding things and I was like, Oh my gosh, how did I not look on USA spending for this before, you know, just to find that dominion contract. That was so weird. So weird. Right before 2016, that dominion gave a lecture to the department of defense. So weird. But anyway, I digress. I thought I'd take a break and, uh, I kind of thought to myself, I'm pretty sure that if we actually autopsied people that have received vaccines in general, like younger people that are now in their 20s and 30s that got the really big load. Because when we were kids, I mean, I'm 43. We didn't get a shit ton of vaccines as kids, right? But um, uh, I was I was thinking, I would like to see if their brains are smooth, like that they have a smooth brain. Like that they're missing maybe convolutions um, to make them communicate between each other more. And if they're smoother somewhere else and the more convolution there, because it's the convoluted brain that that makes someone smart, right? This is why they say dolphins are really smart. They have a lot of brain matter. And that's, that, that was just an idea that I had and it would have been great. <laughs> I was like, man, maybe I can apply for like a master's program and just like pitch this idea of, uh, you know, dissecting, uh, brains to see the effect that the vaccines have. Just, just saying, just saying. So, because if your RNA, the, uh, the messenger RNA that your DNA puts out to code, to make new neurons, new cells, replace cells that have died or that, you know, have, uh, you know, just expired in general. Um, if they are different, then that would mean that physically there would be differences. Um, so I, I'm just thinking that maybe there are smoother portions of the brain. Uh, I, I would hypothesize that because of the increased uh, and retroviral interjections um, uh that we, well, the disruptions that we have given to the youth may have actually caused physical 
changes uh, because it doesn't make sense as to how dumbed down they are. So I, I have to say that when I did my gross anatomy clear, I was badass when I got to the brain part of my cadaver. Okay. I was, you know, the other people that were with me that are, I think uh, three of them are doctors. Now the other one um, didn't finish his PhD and the other guy actually finished his PhD. I was the only one that had the cojones to like grab the brain out and slice it in half perfectly. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, having said that, I actually think uh, that if you if you think of your gut, right, as that as that source of because it's the independent brain, remember, it has its own separate feedback loop. So the trust your gut thing, the butterflies in the stomach, I don't feel right. There is an independent feedback loop there that arouses certain certain things, right? That I believe that we're getting tremendous physical changes, not only from the vaccines, but also the food. Why do I say this? Because secularism is now being taught as a, um, as a problem. Now, secularism isn't something bad. I'm just going to say, um, on its face, but it's being taught. That this is how things are. They're tying religion to nationalism to communism, yet secularism, the way it's being taught, is going into communism. Now, this is the evolution of culture. This is mimetics at its finest. Because concepts that are being promoted are not necessarily correct, but they are being promoted as fact, kind of like the professor thought, shit, I put in meme and it was talking about videos people share and didn't be, nobody believed that it was a biologist that coined the term in 1976. Take a listen to what the definition supposedly of secularism is. What exactly is secularism? I mean, depending on where you get your news and information, you might think it's an evil attack on Christianity, an enlightened metaphysical viewpoint, or a governing principle of the Soviet Union. All of these perspectives are wrong. Secularism is neither an attack on any particular religion nor an endorsement of any metaphysical viewpoint. And at certain points in history, the government of the Soviet Union actively cracked down on religion. That's actually a total violation of the principle of secularism. The term was coined by British writer George Jacob Holyoke to describe his views of promoting social order that is neither connected to religion nor critical of it. As he put it, secularism is not an argument against Christianity. It is one independent of it. It does not question the pretensions of Christianity. It advances others. At its core, secularism can be defined as without reference to religion. So there can be secular morals, secular science, or secular bunny rabbits. In fact, the best bunny rabbits are secular. Most commonly, though, the term secularism is used to refer to state secularism. State secularism is the separation of government institutions from religious institutions, or as it is most frequently put, the separation of church and state. In practice, this means that a secular government is one that does not involve itself in religious affairs. Secularism as a school of thought is not a monolith. Different secularists sometimes have diverging policy perspectives regarding religion. Take, for example, religious exemptions for police uniforms. Some secularists believe that religious minorities should have the right to wear slightly adapted uniforms to meet the restrictions of their religions. For example, allowing Sikhs to wear their turbans rather than a police cap. 
The principle at work here is that not allowing this uniform exemption would discriminate against Sikhs, preventing them from participating in an important state function. Other secularists hold that there should be no religious exemption here because the uniform represents the authority of the government. And having religious identifiers intermingled with a representation of state authority is itself a violation of the principle of secularism. These two opposing arguments are not necessarily equally good, but they are equally secular. The American Constitution establishes the country as a secular state with two clauses, the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause, both found back-to-back -back in the First Amendment, which reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In general, secularism seeks to promote a society in which there is no official state religion, the government does not promote or condemn any particular religion or religious viewpoint, everyone is allowed to believe whatever they want and practice whatever religion they choose, no one is discriminated against based on their faith, religious organizations have no role in determining government policy, the government has no role in determining the precepts of any religious organization, Damn, doesn't it seem like <laughs> all of those First Amendment things have gone out the window? I mean, you're kind of getting discriminated against if you're like, hey, so my genetic code, it was created by God. I don't feel like making my body create certain proteins or to add to my immunity because you think my immune system is bunk against whatever virus you think. I'd like to keep it myself. But apparently that doesn't count. And then it's like the government can't impose on religious institutions, but they fucking did. They said you can't open. They said you can't do this. They said you can't do that. Just, 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 just watch. The government has no role in determining the precepts of any religious organization. The rights of religious minorities are protected. The religion of an individual has no impact on his or her rights or societal status. And all members of a society are considered equal in all regards, regardless of religious associations or faith. Yeah, so we're not, right? So if you're religious and you don't want to take the vaccine, you're considered a lesser citizen. Again, First Amendment, everyone keeps talking, face games, and it's like, no, you need to take it down to where it's supposed to be and how it's being done. This is where you can see where the violations have happened. This is going to come very important when it comes to 2022, right? Didn't they push the freedom of religion and then have everyone hate and love Islam? I mean, why demonize it? Okay, yeah, it's because Obama paid all these radicals and they just use the religion just like they did in the 1300s, you know, to topple down kingdoms and get queens and kings to marry and remarry. And then they got rid of the Muslims, right? That's what they called them. The Spanish Inquisition was to get rid of the Muslims that they created and brought up there and say, oh, we must be tolerant. And then when they did their job, they got rid of them. See, they keep using religion as a weapon, so don't get it twisted. Secularism is not atheism. State secularism is about allowing a community of diverse religious perspectives to govern themselves without allowing the power of the state to put its thumb on the scale in regards to religion. In a well-functioning secular society, people of all faiths, or lack thereof, should be able to come together to form the rules of their community without reference to religious perspectives. Secularism is not about believing in God or gods or not believing in those things. It's about what we can all agree on regardless of our spirituality, faith, or metaphysical viewpoints.
You see, this is where we get it really, really, really twisted. But let's take a look at um, how Harvard decided to change the conversation. See, we need to listen to these professors because this is where it gets dirty. As foundations for nation states, religious nationalism and secular nationalism are often thought of as polar opposites. Those who value secular nationalism often depict religious nationalism as backward, irrational, repressive, and violent. In contrast, secular nationalism is depicted as modern, rational, liberal, and peaceful. On the other hand, those who value religious nationalism often depict secular nationalism as immoral, individual, and a vestige of colonialism, while religious nationalism is represented as moral, communal, and a form of self-determination. All of these depictions perpetuate common misunderstandings of both religion and secularism. In reality, religious nationalism and secular nationalism are umbrella terms that include incredibly diverse ideologies. Their values can be overlapping or in opposition, depending on social and historical context. For example, in 1923, the Republic of Turkey was formed as a secular state following the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Its first president, Kemal Ataturk, brought in sweeping reforms that replaced Muslim rule and culture with a particular form of secularism. By the 1970s, Turkey was the most secular of all Muslim-majority countries. But rampant inequality and the perception of government corruption gave rise to Islamic parties that gained enough power by 1996 to form a coalition government. In response, Secular officials imposed a public ban on a symbol of Islam, the headscarf. Women who wore the hijab were no longer allowed to study at the university, and a democratically elected member of parliament named Merva Kavacha, representing the Islamic Virtue Party, was prevented from taking the oath of office by her fellow secular National Assembly members. When she entered the parliament, they stood and yelled, out for 30 minutes until she was forced to leave. Two weeks later, she was stripped of her Turkish citizenship. These and related restrictions emboldened members of Islamic political parties, and the current president, Recep Erdogan, is an Islamist who has held power since 2003. In another example, the United States is a secular nation but its currency is imprinted with, in God we trust. The Pledge of Allegiance includes the phrase, one nation under God, and 42 of the 45 U.S. presidents identified as Protestant Christian. Let's stop right there for a second. So what is the problem with under one God? The only people it excludes, it's atheists, right? Uh, you know, or polytheists. <laughs> The ones that think that there's a lot of gods. So I don't understand what their problem is because in God we trust. We could say in Allah we trust. Allah means God. It's not a special name. It's not like Joe, John, Robin, Robert. Allah means God. The word 
Allah is God. I've been to many Coptic churches that chant in freaking Arabic and they use the word Allah. So, you know, I'm just saying when they say Christian prayers in Arabic, they use the word Allah. So what is the problem with one God? There's just one God. There's one creator. And why is it a problem? Oh, is it a problem because 42 out of 45 president identified as Protestant Christians? Huh? Protestant. So weird. India is also a secular nation. But over the past few decades, democratically elected Hindu nationalists have gained power. They enacted reforms in education and culture that promote particular forms of Hinduism that many other Hindus and members of other religious and secular communities find troubling. Like all worldviews, religious and secular forms of nationalism can only be understood in their particular social and historical contexts. Understanding their rich diversities will enhance our understanding of movements on local, national, and international levels. So basically, our nation is a secular nation because it separated church from state. Fair enough. But we do believe in God, whatever that God name may be or how you envision them. Again, if the Egyptians had a lake rather than a river, it would have been a lake God. The the whole point here is they have weaponized the way we see religion through conflict, right? They have taken religion, different factions and called them backwards. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, say that like Sikhs, you know, they wear their hair really long and they wear the turban thing. Then you've got the Muslims, you know, they pray five times a day. They have their own cultural norms. Buddhists are different. Hinduists are different. And there's different factions of Hinduism, just like they said, you know, it's like, Christianity. There's like all these different Christianities that stemmed out from historical Christianity. There was one Christianity and then suddenly they created all these other versions. The Lutheran, the Protestant, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic, the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, the, you know, all of these are, are then formed to um, uh, uh, fit whatever ideas and morals and values that they hold. It's pretty simple. But as a nation, as a nation, under God, what is so bad for that? What is so bad about that? When Jesus Christ was crucified, Christianity began to spread. The historical Christians, the historical Christians. Then they created Catholicism and Roman Catholics. And then they made, you know, you know the, the, the Protestants, the Lutherans. It all stems from Christianity. Same thing with Islam. We've got the Sunni and the Shias, right? We've got the Sikhs. And then there's like this other Sikh spinoff too. It's all about allowing changes. And again... It's a mimetic. It's the way information is devised and transferred, right? So Buddhists, Hinduists, all of them. See, one thing that is so natural is religion, is faith. And faith is very, very important. That is exactly what they want you to lose, is your faith. Because faith above all, can take on anything. Faith is knowing that you'll endure. Faith is, uh, per, you know, just going, even though when you think, uh, you know, there's no out, it's a firm belief that you're confident that something will happen. 
you know, that it will be for the better because you have faith. And see, a lot of people misconstrue faith as the words of the Bible and the Quran. There's people that can spit out Matthew, this, 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 this. And it's like, great, but do you know his ways? Or they can spit out the Quran and say it. And yeah, but do you know the ways you are taught? The Buddhists, the Hinduists, you know, the Jews, all of them. But do you know the ways? This is, this is the, the, the thought. Do you know the ways? So. What are they doing now? What have you seen them doing now? So throughout 2021, in retrospect, religion has been under severe attack. Your churches were closed. They totally annihilated Easter. Like nobody cares about Easter anymore, right? It's like, forget Easter. Like, I can't go. I'm not doing this. I mean, even Ramadan, you know, the Muslims like didn't even go. Uh, Jews don't go to temple anymore. It's only the Orthodox Jews, right? And it's only some Orthodox Christians, the ones that go by the old calendar that don't care what the head of their church in the political realm have to say, right? The ones that actually have faith, right? It's all been annihilated. The attack in 2021 was against your faith, whatever that may be. And if you can't see that in retrospect and say, you know, that kind of sounds right because church is modified. They didn't allow this. Some people pushed forward, right? But I can speak for my church, right? The Greek Orthodox Church, they annihilated the religion. We had priests telling people how great the vaccine was. We had uh, communion disallowed and priests and metropolitans fired and fought, right? They completely did that. Churches are now cowering to everything. I mean, I lost my friend who was a priest because he took the vaccine because the church said so, right? Because the church said so and he died. So 2021 has been an attack on all faiths on what you are allowed to do. God is under attack. He can't save you. Science will. Depends what kind of science though, right? The science that you can't question, the science that you can't do anything uh, without someone on TV telling you what to do. The science that tells you that there are no genders. The science that tells you you should wear a mask, but then it also tells you that the mask is giving you pneumonia and bronchitis. I mean, you got to pick, Right? The, the science that tells you that you get vaccinated, but you're not really immune. Suddenly you're getting f- immune fatigue. That sounds like AIDS. Okay. But then you're getting a spike in syphilis kind of look like AIDS too. And it's like so insane. And so right now the segregation in the people are those that are faithless and those that have faith. And that means across all boards. The faithless will just give up and do what the government says and they know best and comply and say, oh, we don't say that anymore. Or, oh, that wasn't a very nice thing to say. Or mind your words, put on your mask, even though it doesn't work, just put it on, be a good boy, right? Those are the faithless, the people that have no faith, no faith. So when you're looking at people that follow along with the game. Now I'm going to comply. I'm going to take what as many vaccines as they want me to, and I'm going to wear this mask and I'm going to shut up and do nothing about it and just follow the rules and just follow the rules. Okay. You know, 
those that are just simply obeying just to obey are literally the faithless. I want you to, to let that phrase sink in the faithless, regardless of what your faith is, right? When you have zero faith, you comply with the stupidest shit. You comply with the stupidest shit because you believe that there's nothing more than this. How bad does that sound to live a life where you think that your overlords and those that can take care of you and save you are not your religion, but, uh, <laughs> your politicians and your newscasters. It's very sad. And I see this everywhere. You know, I when I was in an Uber, there was a, a Muslim woman. And, you know, she was saying her thing. And I was like, you know, as a Muslim, you're going against your religion by just complying like this. Because doesn't Muhammad say that no man shall da-da-da and... She's like, I know, but you know, I need my job. And I was like, so you don't even have faith in the religion that you seek. You don't have faith that Muhammad's going to save you, right? You don't have faith. And see, that's, that's where you see where the problem is. This is spiritual warfare. And this is how you can see it in retrospect. Because no matter what someone's religion is, they lack faith. And they believe that this is as good as it gets and your TV will save you. That idiot box will save you. It's very sad. It's sad to see people feel like that. It's really sad because science isn't scared of questions, which by the way, I have to say, before I go, I wanted to play a clip from The Hill. Uh, they're starting to use phrases we used about a year ago. Show me your papers and stuff like that. I saw that and I was like, hmm, interesting. But um, it shows that Fauci and Collins actually colluded to smear sh scientists and actually shut down scientific debate. And I wanted you guys to see this because this is how you can you can see what's really going on. I mean, all of you know, right? But again, no matter what someone's religion is, either that be Judaism, Christianity, uh, Islam, right? Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. It's like they all lost faith in everything. It's, it's like they've lost faith in everything. And it's sad. It's very, very sad. Very sad. Take a listen to this. It's on your radar. Yesterday, Twitter deplatformed Dr. Robert Malone in yet another long line of scientists, doctors, and experts who've been silenced during this pandemic. Dr. Robert Malone is not an anti-vaxxer. In fact, he's taken the COVID vaccines and he's spent his entire career developing and researching vaccines and treatments for pharmaceutical companies. Malone has served as a member of the scientific advisory board of EpiVax, 
assistant professor at the University of Maryland Baltimore School of Medicine, an adjunct associate professor of biotechnology at Kennesaw State University. He was CEO and co-founder of a pharmaceutical company which helped in the development of the treatment for the Zika virus. He's a legitimate science and a doc scientist and a doctor. And on top of this, most notably, Malone was an original inventor of mRNA vaccine technology. Now, many other scientists have built upon his work and have contributed to the advancement of the technology to get it where it is today. But Dr. Robert Malone was the first to come up with the idea and successfully test it. Now, in normal circumstances, he'd be someone we'd want to hear from during a global pandemic and during the development of vaccines for a novel virus. Other scientists might not agree with him. Others might. There would be debate, as we'd expect there to be in science, but there's no doubt he's credentialed to speak and he's someone people would like to listen to. But Twitter decided otherwise and suspended his account. Now, it's clear we're not in normal times. These days, anyone, no matter how credentialed they are, can be silenced and worse yet smeared if they say something that goes against the higher ups or the common belief. Numerous doctors, scientists, and experts during the pandemic have been the subject of character assassinations and defamation. It was once encouraged to get a second opinion when it came to our medical care. But now you need to go with the state-sanctioned advice, and anything other than that is a dangerous conspiracy theory. Shouldn't we, the people, be the ones to decide on that? Do you know what also was once a dangerous conspiracy theory? The idea that the Earth revolves around the sun rather than the entire universe revolving around the Earth. In fact, Galileo was convicted of heresy, which is the more ancient way of saying misinformation, and was deplatformed in the way they deplatformed people from the public square back then. He was sentenced to house arrest, where he remained until he died. This was how the powers that be could ensure Galileo's dangerous and untruthful ideas that the Earth revolved around the sun wouldn't be heard by the masses and cause confusion and mistrust in the government government. There were many scientists who actually disagreed with Galileo's theory. Galileo was deemed wrong and dangerous, and so he was deplatformed and the subject of character assassination and defamation until he died. He was a quack, they thought. Good riddance. Now, we all know that wasn't true. The earth revolves around the sun. It isn't disputed. But Galileo died without ever seeing the day he'd be exonerated. Now, we learn about Galileo in our history classes for a reason. He's a lesson to remind us that there are times when society as a whole, the elites, the educated, even the scientists are wrong. And worse yet, we'll shut down debate and wrongly persecute people. We often don't find out who is right or wrong until many, 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 many years later, which is why it's important not to silence dissent. And maybe you're thinking, well, Twitter's a private company. They can do whatever they want. But it isn't just private companies that are doing this. It's also our government. A couple of weeks ago, emails from the NIH were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act request that exposed a concerted smear campaign against three well-respected scientists and epidemiologists. The issue was the Great Barrington Declaration. The authors of the declaration argued for a more focused approach in regards to controlling the COVID-19 pandemic. They argued for protecting the most vulnerable and allowing everyone else to resume mostly normal lives. They created a plan. They started meeting with government officials in the fall of 2020. But here's an email from Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, to Tony Fauci, asking for a quick and devastating published takedown of the declaration and the three scientists. The email reads, hi, Tony and Cliff cgbdeclaration.org. This proposal from the three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention and even a co-signature from Nobel Prize winner Mike Levitt at Stanford. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? 
three fringe epidemiologists. Okay, sure. If you think professors of medicine at Stanford and Harvard and an epidemiologist from Oxford are fringe, right? But shortly after this email, they ended up trading subsequent emails showing off their takedowns in the Washington Post, Wired, and The Nation. These are government officials. Why wasn't this allowed to be debated? Why was the public just told this was fringe, outlandish science to be immediately disregarded? We're now over one year later with the lockdowns, schools, closures, and other disruptions that don't look to be subsiding. Discussing other ways to manage the pandemic are necessary at this point. It's actually fairly likely we end up going with the recommendations of these fringe scientists after all. Numerous credible scientists have been discredited, smeared, deplatformed or fired all without the ability for the public to debate their ideas and decide for ourselves who is a snake oil salesman and who isn't. Dr. Pierre Corey, who had his Senate testimony removed from YouTube. Gert Vandenbosch, a virologist who claimed vaccinating during a pandemic could be problematic. Dr. Aaron Kierty, an ethicist who said it was unethical to mandate vaccines. Dr. Simone Gold, who advocated for early treatments. The list goes on. Again, we might individually decide some are worth listening to while others aren't, but the shutting down of scientific debate is only going to facilitate the erosion of public trust in our leaders, government, and big tech. And that is something that, you know, Robbie, I don't think Twitter really understands. And I know you mentioned this also on your radar yesterday, this kind of uh, piggy tails on the, uh, on the, uh, the, or piggybacks. I always get my metaphors mixed up. Piggybacks on the, on the radar you did yesterday of this being defamation, um, and smearing, you know, when you characterize someone as misinformation, then people, you know, it gets on a Wikipedia page. People are like, oh, you can't trust that person. And it creates this, you know, th- that person is Galileo. They need to be just shut down, silenced in some way. What Twitter doesn't realize, and my biggest beef with big tech on this, is they are causing, by doing all of this, this erosion in public trust. The public is becoming more and more skeptical as they see people with these big credentials being silenced. And they're saying, wait a minute, you know, why would you silence that person? You know, or like you having your article being labeled as misinformation and removed. People that read you, they know you're a big author. You've been a writer for a while that you are publishing all of these big, you know, uh, publications. And and then suddenly you're now misinformation. I mean, this is causing public erosion of trust and the government officials, big tech is going to be largely responsible for that erosion. Our democracy is very fragile. And as we're seeing, and this is only going to spiral out of control. And it's going to be largely big tech that is responsible for it as well as, and the thing that really bothers me, these emails, right? Like who were they calling when Fauci and Collins got together and said, well, we need to have some published takedowns. What publications are they talking about? Who could they call? Oh, come on, you guys. That's the thing. See, this is why I'm suing Dominion for defamation. That gave the right to whoever they colluded with. This is why Media Matters and HuffPost are on it, too, to sit there and write all this shit about me. When I said nothing wrong about the elections, here we are with the vaccines. These are doctors. They were fine two years ago. They were peer-reviewed. They were doing things. The dude invented mRNA, and yet they're defaming them, and they're colluding. Who are they calling? (laughs) They're calling all the media outlets. And, you know, just like Mike Lindell said, the right is even worse because they're letting the left do the dirty work while they sit silently. And they're just like, yeah, so we're not going to do anything about it. (laughs) You see how that works? 
you know, it, it, that needs to be investigated. What publications were they able to pick up the phone to? I, apparently, Washington Post, Wired, and Nation, and the Nation. They were to call we'll up try and say, all of them in the mainstream media, whatever you want, Dr. Fauci, right? And that's what's so frustrating, I think, is the hypocrisy because, look, so, you know, some of those scientists you mentioned, I don't know everything that all of them think. I bet some right. of them have said some things or expressed some views that I think are wrong. But, right. but so have Dr. Fauci and Francis Collins right. and Rochelle Walensky. And like right. the herd immunity prediction was wrong. The, you know, the, or the don't wear masks. Then, well, yes, you should wear masks. Now we think all masks except the K95 ones are useless. So like the, 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 ma- the people who have credibility among the mainstream media, the government class, well, those people don't get silenced. They don't get kicked off Twitter. They don't get, you know, they don't get called fringed extremists. So, you know, the, the government accepted approved people are right about some things and they're wrong about some things. And so are all the people on your list. And so so are you and I. And so is everybody. Right. Right. So, everybody. you know, labeling some people as like this other that cannot be trusted. These are the good people. These are the bad people. Everything they think is wrong. People when people realize that that is being applied selectively and it is and it is not true, they lose faith entirely in the system. And and that totally. can, and that's bad because there are some parts of the system that should be trusted. There's some advice that's been good, but people then they don't want to hear it because you it's like the boy who cried wolf problem. Yeah, it, it's been a very, very frustrating. Uh, you know, this pandemic has been extremely frustrating and very exposing of our government, whereas other governments have handled this differently. Like Iceland, I, I often look at their data. They are so refreshingly transparent in Iceland. And, you know, they say on their website when it comes to vaccination and, and, and COVID, they say, look, we don't know everything. We'll let you know as we know. They say this stuff can change. We're learning as we go. This is what we recommend right now. You know, if something changes, we'll be the first to tell you. And it's like, why couldn't our government officials do that? Everybody has been wrong in this pandemic. Some have been less wrong than others. Everybody has been wrong, right? And yet, again, it, it comes down to this. Some people get labeled uh, misinformation or fringe. I, I agree with your colleague that is doing the, the lawsuit. I almost want to join in on it myself. <laughs> Right. I think, you know, a lot of us would say, hey, a lot of us were defamed in a lot of ways by being labeled misinformation. So uh, because of a piece or a segment mm-hmm. or something we said was labeled and flagged and removed or something. So, you know, I don't think this is leading anywhere good, but I definitely would like to see that public debate. And it's up to me to decide who's the snake oil salesman. Right. I might listen to something from some of these doctors and say, nah, but that's right. up to me. Right. Why is Big Brother having to tell me or the Famous nanny state? Famous oil salesman, Galileo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the party. The party, the party, the party. Hmm. I don't need any evidence. That was true of the day in the days of Galileo when the philosophers knew that the, that the sun moves around the earth and they didn't want to look through Galileo's telescope. And by that, they maintained their ignorance and, and they put Galileo in. Right. So how do we evolve as, uh, you know, a society if we are told that we are not allowed to think of new ideas or things to contest the already placed system? I mean, wasn't it Copernicus and Galileo and even Columbus who went against the grain? Well, I don't think that the earth is the center of the universe. I think it's a sun. Well, you're going to go to jail because you're thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking about, yet that helped evolve science. What do you mean you want to fly, right, brothers? Are you insane? You don't have wings. 
What do you mean uh, fly? This is how innovation happens by being able to think. You know, um, insanity is defined as someone who doesn't have bounds in their thoughts and logic. <laughs> so what do you call someone that puts boundaries to where they're allowed to think? I think they're the ones that are insane. So that was a segment from February 4th, 2021. See, this is where it comes full circle. It's a little bit ahead, should have happened in February, but now it's all coming out a little bit sooner. And that's because we dropped some boots on December. It seems like 2021 can't go away fast enough. I just thought I would play that clip for you. Um, the earlier clip was me referring to people going against the grain in 2019, where I played a clip on how, you know, Galileo was persecuted for speaking of things that other people couldn't see. So they don't have eyes to see. Therefore you must shut up. They don't have eyes to hear. Therefore you must shut up. Isn't it weird? 2021 is like the Navy sayings, hurry up to get there and wait. You're waiting at the gate to get rid of 2021. You're like, come on, gate, open. It's taking forever. I'd like this year to be over. I mean, alleged year. <laughs> I mean, it does still feel like it's late October right now, but I digress. On that note, I want to wish you guys a fantastic evening. I will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You could say I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say I lost my belief in religion. You could say I lost my sense of direction You could say all of this and worse But if I ever lose my faith in you There'll be nothing left for me to do Some would say I was a lost man in a lost world You can say I lost my faith in the people on TV You can say I lost my belief in our politicians They all seem like game show hosts to me But if I ever lose my faith in you If I ever lose my faith There'll be nothing Lose my faith. Lose my faith.